1: Sarah, thanks so much. Welcome, everybody, to Overtime. I'm Scott Wapney. You just heard the bells. We're just getting started right here at Post 9. In just a few minutes, I'll speak to Charles Schwab's stock star, Lizanne Saunders, on where this bear market might be going next after another rough and tumble session. Oracle earnings, they're imminent. The numbers and the reaction when those hit as we get another good read on the state of corporate spending. We do begin, though, with our talk of the tape, this relentless route for your money and whether there are any signs It is nearing an end. Cantor's Eric Johnston is with me here live at Post 9. We're going to get to him in just a moment. I'm glad you're here uh, with me, but I do want to get to the big story of this late day, and that is the Wall Street Journal scoop. About an hour ago uh, that the Fed is considering a 75 basis point rate hike uh, this week. Let's bring in the reporter who broke that story, Nick Timoros of the Wall Street Journal is with me now. Thank you so uh, very much for being with me. Uh, This was, in fact, a market moving story. Tell me more.
2: Well, thanks for having me, Scott. You know, it looked a week ago like the debate at this meeting was going to be about, you know, whether Chair Powell would signal uh, 50 basis points for September versus 25. Obviously, the inflation data on Friday, Uh, the University of Michigan expectations report. The New York Fed had an inflation expectations report this morning. Uh, those were negative those were not what the Fed wanted to see and so now you do have a debate this week about whether it's going to be 50 or 75 basis points and we just reported that you know 75 basis points looks like a more likely and more live option than it did just a couple of days ago because of that inflation data.
1: It's it's interesting Um, you know I I respect the reporting process so much so I'm not going to ask you obviously about sourcing and things like that however uh... headlines like this uh... don't come out by accident um, does it tell you that uh, it's the prospect is moving the ball forward enough that it's probable can we can we make that a- assertion at this point that that is the way that the Fed l- is leaning based on uh, the reporting that you have
2: look the meeting starts tomorrow and they'll have a two day they'll have two days of debate to hash this out and it's unusual to see if you know, big changes in the outlook this close to a meeting. We haven't had that in quite some time. And so, uh, yeah, it makes it more difficult to see what the Fed is going to do. Um, but I think the inflation expectations data, you know, they've said that they would be guided by that data, that that's important to them, because once you begin to see expectations losing their anchor, you, you know, it, it requires much more aggressive action. So that creates an argument for front-loading that maybe might not have been there before.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering if you could also speak to what you think this means, uh, given your knowledge of the Fed and and the decisions that have been made thus far about its credibility, that it has all but set the stage for 50 basis points. It has telegraphed it as well as any Fed could ever do so. And here we are a day before uh, the meeting starts. We have this new reporting here that 75 basis points could, in fact, be uh, probable at this point, and whether you think it comes off as panicky uh, by the Fed that they may make this move?
2: You know, I'll leave panicky for other people to to speculate on, but if you look at what happened on Friday, uh, you know, part of the Fed's credibility is about getting the market to understand how they are going to react to data. And so when you see the kind of sell-off you had in the bond market and the market beginning to price in 75, certainly for July, uh, and somewhat for June, you know, that's the market trying to understand the feds reaction function and i think one of the considerations uh at this meeting has to be well if it looks like 75 is something that people would want to do in july does it make more sense to do it in june i think that's part of uh you know one of the options that that is uh, up for debate here
1: yeah I appreciate it very much. Uh, thanks for coming on. Congrats on the scoop. Uh, it certainly was a talker late in the day and it moved the market. The bond market, uh, the way that yield shot up was just astounding to watch. Nick, we'll talk to you soon. Nick Timorose, Wall Street Journal. Eric Johnson's with me um, right here. Your reaction um, to this, as I said, these things don't just drop out of the sky uh, by accident. Exactly.
3: So the two things we know about the Fed is number one, you know, the market has been leading the Fed uh, this entire way, and the market has been pointing more towards 75. The second thing we know about the Fed is that they don't like to surprise the market. So, the last we heard it was going to be 50 basis points. This article today uh, tells me it's going to be 7- 75. This was their way of sort of telling the market before Wednesday that it's going to be 75, and so I think that that lines up. And I think the question from there is really around their commentary, right? Around what is their forward guidance look like? Um, and I think that. Keeping everything else equal, equity markets rather pull forward uh, the rate hikes rather than extend
1: it over a longer period of time. You're expecting a a more hawkish message on Wednesday, yes. Aren't you? Yes. Yeah, I think they're going to I think they're going
3: to indicate they're no longer going to back themselves into a corner saying we're going to you know do a specific uh, hike the next uh, the next meeting. So my guess is they'll keep it wide open, and I don't think they'll limit themselves to 75 basis points. They're going to want to uh, really keep them you know keep keep their uh, Everything open, all their options open. So,
1: so the bond market has obviously been screaming at the Fed. Yes. Do more, right? Now maybe they're finally uh, getting the message. Um, what does that mean then for where stocks go from here if the, if the markets perceive the Fed to finally be listening for a lack of a better description? Yeah, I think there's no, there's no easy way or good way out of this. I think that
3: there is a better way. So I think that, yes, the market will like uh, pulling the hikes forward, um, but it's overall going to be very uh, problematic for equity markets how this is going to play out. Um, we think that the sell-off has more time and has a
1: lot more in price in terms of going to the downside. How of much more? How much more? I mean, because, again, to put into context for people who don't see you every day, Somebody who was negative big picture, made a big call that stocks are going to have a huge rally, backed off of it a few days later. We had a big rally. Now here we are. uh, We set new intraday lows uh, today, and we're wondering how low we're going to go again. So it's a little bit of context into the kind of conversations that we've had of late and the kind of calls that
3: you've made. So we look at the equity risk premium as our valuation uh, metric. We think it's super important. If you look at each of the sell-offs in the year 2008, 2018, 2020 the equity risk premium has moved up by anywhere from 200 to 500 basis points so far during the sell-off it's actually moved down meaning stocks have gotten more expensive relative to where rates are and the reason why is because we've had this massive backup in rates if you look at credit markets credit markets are the widest they've been since May of 2020 May of 2020 the equity risk premium was hundred basis points higher if you talk to a lot of people in industry, they're talking about the recession risk being very high. I think they're very high, everyone thinks they're very high. That is not being reflected in the equity risk premium Mm. despite the fact that we've had this sell off. And so you can see numbers in the low 3000s for sure and that's not not crazy at all based on where the equity risk premium should go. The other thing I would say is, is that one of the things that we're seeing is that as markets go lower, it has a self-fulfilling effect. This is clearly impacting the economy right now, right? Growth is slowing, inventories are moving higher, Mm -hmm. and the sell-off is sort of happening real time as we speak. And so as you go to lower prices, the growth outlook and the earnings outlook are both going to get worse. So you can't just take a snapshot today and say, where's it going to go? What what is the snapshot going to look like, the picture? And not only could valuations move lower, but
1: so could, uh, you know, so could earnings and the overall growth outlook. Let me uh, bounce once again for just two seconds. Sure. Just bear with me. I want to note to everybody, Oracle earnings around the stock is uh, having a nice move here in overtime, up nearly 9%. Uh, this was another good read, at, especially at this particular time, on uh, the corporate spend uh, overall. But not only for, for this company in general, just the competition that it's been facing from those pure play cloud players Uh, and things like database and and all of that. We'll have more uh, coming up in in a moment, too. Our reporter's going through uh, that report, but I I don't want this conversation to get lost on us uh, in in the moment here, too. The other thing that you have pointed to in your your notes today, uh, the positioning of the individual investor who was so all-in and has yet to be so all-out. Is that a fair way to characterize your message? And when that money comes out, That's that shoe that sort of drops to take you to where you think we may go? Exactly right. I mean, you look over the last year since the year,
3: two years, since the pandemic, they've added over one trillion dollars to equities. And they've only had one month recently of outflows, and that was minus 40 billion dollars. So the individual investor has not even begun to sell. And that's one of the reasons why um, I think this has more time and a lot more, a lot more depth to it. If you think about what's gone on with the money supply and around the Fed and where real yields have been, we were in this environment where real yields were negative. They were negative 100 to 200 basis points, which encourages risk-taking. That has now turned positive. Real yields are now positive. It just that discourages risk-taking. We've seen the money supply. M2 money supply went down for the first time since 2010, right? And QT is just starting right now. Everything that was inflating over the last two years, and it took two, two and a half years to inflate fiscal spending, monetary spending, um, is all going in reverse, and it's really, we're in the beginning stages of it.
1: You, so, you, you worry about, uh, speaking of, uh, yeah. because as you're, you're talking, you're making me think of what's happening in crypto. Sure. Uh, it, you worry about spillover effects? From what we're seeing in crypto, I mean, how can you have an asset class get decimated by 50% essentially uh, and have no spillover anywhere?
3: I I think it does. I think certainly it hits confidence. When you think about the actual money loss, the capitalization right now of crypto is about a trillion dollars. So it was, you know, two, two and a half. Uh, trillion dollars so that's you know that that, that's a global global number in terms of of ownership but that's certainly uh, certainly painful and I think it also just hurts confidence especially um, when some of these coins break and you hear about some of the losses out there Mm -hmm. you lose confidence in the system and then you start to your your sort of your mind starts to wander around what else do I own that could have that type of move
1: and that's how it sort of can spread throughout the capital markets. So let's let's broaden the conversation. You stay with me uh, as well. Uh, Let's bring in New Edge Wealth's Rob Seachin, Crossmarks, Victoria Fernandez. It's great to have you both with us. Uh, Victoria, I go to you first and I want to really zero in on this scoop at the end of the day by the journal that 75 basis points could very well happen on Wednesday. What do you think of that report? What do you think it means?
4: Yeah, so obviously we saw the short end of the curve really move up on that news. But I have to tell you, I know Eric was saying he thinks that means we're gonna get that 75 move this week. I'm not sure we do. You know how the Fed likes to telegraph what they're going to do and they like it to be out there and the last mention they said of 75 basis points is that it wasn't even part of the conversation. So obviously we want to hear from them. Yes, they discussed 75. I think it sets it up for July that that's a done deal of 75. And then you look at September and I don't think there's a number associated with September, but it will be higher than 25 that they talked about before. So I think they're setting it up for the rest of the year. I do think though for this meeting they want to stay with With the message that they have been telegraphing. They'll stay at 50 basis points. I know when you look at Fed futures, just since Thursday, they've gone up 70 basis points. So the market, I think, could handle it. But I think it comes back to what you were saying a minute ago about the credibility of the Fed. And they want to stick with the message they put out there for now.
1: Unless you think that what happened late in the day today was a new message that the Fed wanted to have out there and if they now don't go 75 maybe it further damages their credibility not to mention the fact that maybe the conversation that you are talking about changed dramatically with that CPI shocker on Friday isn't that isn't that possible Victoria
4: it's absolutely possible I just don't think if that we likely. can say 75 70- I just don't think it's likely, I don't think it's probable for 75 basis points to make that quick jump. Yes, CPI was higher. We actually didn't see the market move as much on CPI as we did the University of Michigan numbers. Those longer term expectations, that's where I think we're going to see the Fed really focus. Those longer term inflation expectations are not going to be anchored as much anymore. That may be what changes their mind. But again, I think they're going to give us at least a one month leeway to prepare for that. So I'm going to stick with doing 50 at this meeting. I could be wrong, but I think they're telegraphing for July, not for June.
1: Rob, Desperate Times call for desperate measures. How do you read it? I tend to agree
5: with Victoria. I think it would be a huge shot to the Fed's credibility if they did it uh, this week. I think they set the table for perhaps a more aggressive move in July. Listen, September is definitely something that now looks a lot different today than it did a few weeks ago. And so the, uh, there's been kind of a huge death in this hope trade based on the Fed pivoting early. I mean, that data was was pretty significantly worse than I think markets were anticipating, not worse than we thought it could be. Um, but I think the Fed has to be engaged, stay engaged. And I think that means uh, kind of a negative prognosis for, for markets, as Eric said.
1: They can't win either way, Eric, can they, right? If they, if they do 50... 50- Bond market says you're clueless, continues to push the envelope. If they go 75, market says now you're panicky. You have no cred, as Victoria was just making the argument. Am I right or overplaying that?
3: Uh, I think that's fair. I mean, their credibility is, you know, questionable right now, I think, in the market's eyes uh, to begin with. Um, I do feel confident they will go 75 based on this Wall Street Journal report, uh, you know, today. I think this is their way of, their way of signaling. Feels that um, way. Yeah, it does. Um, but, you know, it's really going to be, there's really no great out for them, you know, where people are going to walk away from this meeting and feel good. The best thing will be that it'll be over, um, you know, and and there could be a spin for 24 hours that people maybe like. Mm. But it's really, I think, over, you know, beyond 24 hours. I don't see anything positive coming out of this meeting.
1: Victoria, what's so interesting is your headline you came with today before we had this news was that you think a rebound's coming.
4: Yeah I think we were kind of setting ourselves up uh, for that before we saw the the news today because look I think there's still some headwinds to inflation that can work themselves through over the summer and if that happens which means yields will start to calm down a little bit then that's going to be supportive of the equity market. I mean let's look at inventory to sales ratio that's moving higher we look at supply both domestically and importing that's doing better real incomes are still somewhat supportive there for the And if we have profits and margins coming down a little bit for corporations, that means wages are going to stop the climb they've seen that'll moderate that moderates inflation that moderates yield. So we thought maybe with some positive growth components, maybe over the next few months, and that doesn't mean growth is going to be super strong, but maybe better than expectations that we could see a little bit of a rally. Again, we think there's going to be tremendous volatility for the rest of the year, but could see a little bit of a rally over the next couple months if we get inflation under control.
1: I mean, Rob, we we seemingly went from a place where we're like, the economy's really strong to holy you-know-what, we're having an imminent recession. And I just wonder if you look at some of the most recent earnings reports, I'll even use Oracle today. Now, I don't have all the color in front of me in terms of what they reported, but if it was so bad and the outlook was so dreadful, the stock wouldn't be up 9%. And it was a top and bottom beat, and we'll get you the the color, of course, on that. But the world doesn't seem to be as bad as some would suggest that it is. And I also go to the Lloyd Blankfein thing, a tweet of a, of a week or so ago at this point, was kind of like, yeah, if I was running a big corporation like a Jamie Dimon, he didn't use his name, but I will because that feels to me like he was alluding to the hurricane comments, I'd be preparing for the worst too. But cool it on all of the, the crazy talk. Uh, we're starting from a high place. Well, listen, I think investors have to do
5: exactly what some of these corporations are doing, and that's prepare their portfolios for volatility, for downside volatility, because frankly, things have to get worse before they get better. The Fed is the most important actor in the room, and until they pivot. uh, and this liquidity paradigm changes I think investors have to be defensive in their orientation and that means they have to buy stocks that are resilient so you have the optionality for when markets recover they're resilient from an earnings quality standpoint they're reasonable from a valuation standpoint they're resourceful from a capital deployment standpoint and if you can own through this time in equities that are like that that are actually performing you're going to do better than selling and trying to re-enter we still think Scott that there's a good ways to go on the downside. Um, you know, fair value is probably somewhere in the 3,500 uh, range. Um, that's where we would get interested anyway. You could certainly see markets overshoot and go lower than that to where Eric's talking about. Um, but at that point in time, we're going to be more aggressive about uh, about getting in getting invested, especially if we see data that indicates that the Fed. Uh, can maybe change the, the the
1: aggressiveness of their approach. Mm-hmm. You allude, the last point to you, uh, Eric, of this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? You you talk yourself into a recession, not only from a corporate standpoint, which others, by the way, I think it was Frank Slootman of, of Snowflake referenced that last week when, when they reported and then he, he spoke after. Uh, like, if you talk about it so much, sure. then you'll put us into one. And the consumer feels like we might be in a recession, even though we're not, because they're tired of paying what they're paying at the gas pump, at the grocery store, and seemingly everywhere else. Absolutely. I mean, you have
3: consumer confidence has hit a historic low. Um, CEO confidence is falling very rapidly. And when you see stock prices fall, um, you know, management makes decisions around cutting costs and it all becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think that the growth outlook for the economy is going to continue to get worse because there's just there, there's too many factors right now that are you know moving against it, and one of those is asset prices. But it really goes beyond that in terms of consumer confidence and inventories that are that are surging, demand falling, and, and inflation still out there. And then I think that's going to translate into earnings. I think it's going to be a very weak earnings season, in particular around guidance. And we could see negative pre-announcements. We um, already have seen some. And we have seen some. And I think that they will continue. Um, because one last point is just that the supply chain actually, you know, the fact that the supply chain was where it was actually mm-hmm. helped company margins. And so as the supply chain eases, margins will likely revert to where they were closer to 2019. And that's not what is currently in analyst estimates. So That's more more risk to the
1: downside. I appreciate you being yeah, here, and, and thank you for your patience at the top. Sure, too, no while we probably had to react to some absolutely. of that news thanks there. For me. Uh, that's Eric Johnston of Canner joining us there. Rob, Victoria, I'll see you both soon as well. My thanks to you too. Let's get more on Oracle's quarter now. Christina Partsonevilos has those details. Christina,
6: well, Scott, tech uh, needed pretty much a win today. So will this report stop the bleeding? Earnings per share beat at a dollar fifty-four. Non-gap revenue eleven point eight four billion. What we're seeing for this latest quarter, though, Q4 revenue increasing ten percent, and this is in uh, constant currency. What is driving this business? Cloud applications. This is this is an important transition for the company. Cloud applications like NetSuite and Fusion. Oracle CEO saying that the company saw a major increase specifically in demand infrastructure cloud biz. So that was up 39% year over year. And like you mentioned, Scott, just maybe about a few minutes ago, it's important to talk about the cloud given the increase in newer providers like Snowflake, MongoDB, Databricks. MongoDB just posted their latest earnings and they saw sales climb 57% year over year. So clearly these are uh, competitors that are entering the space. Oracle still coming out strong and we don't have the guidance because I know you mentioned that, but it's uh, not in the report. It might be in the earnings call, which is coming up in 5 p.m. Eastern time. Quick note to operating margins were down ever so slightly for this latest quarter year over year.
1: All right. I appreciate it, Christina. Thank you. That's Christina Parsinevelos with the latest on Oracle. In today's halftime overtime, the crypto crash as Bitcoin sinks to its lowest level since December of 2020. The ripple effects being felt across the entire crypto ecosystem. Let's bring in requisite capital management's Bryn Talkington. It's good to see you, Bryn. And you do have exposure uh, throughout this space. Uh, Coinbase, Grayscale, uh, grayscale Ethereum Trust, PayPal, if you want to put that in the in the basket too, How, what are you feeling right now about crypto
7: well it 's not a great feeling today, or really really all year. But to start with Coinbase, I think it's really important. You know, the two reasons that we really you know bought into Coinbase, number one is Brian Armstrong. But number two is, you know, Coinbase is a, a publicly traded stock regulated by the SEC. So you get that exposure to crypto, but with the rigor of not only the public markets and the SEC. I think what's happening now is you have a real crisis in confidence. That's really about the plumbing of some of these of some of these these companies, and as, as we've talked about, really this started, you know, earlier last month with Terra Luna, and that just like incredible obliteration of sixty billion dollars um, over three days. And I think that as some of these other exchanges have halted temporarily, people just have a lack of confidence in that plumbing. That is the first thing that needs to come back, that people know they have that confidence. And so, you know, I'm really hopeful that the Loomis-Gillibrand bill that they proposed actually continues to get steam, will clearly have iterations. Because I know when you talk to the Brian Armstrongs of the world, the people at Grayscale, everybody wants smart regulation and you just have nothing right now. And so in times like this, where there's a huge risk off in tech in general, and then on top of this, you have these plumbing issues. I think it's like a lack of confidence where you're continuing to see you know, this sell-off and this downward pressure across blockchain and crypto.
1: What do you do with Coinbase here? Um, I'm looking at it down nearly 12% uh, today. Uh, It's downright awful to look at if you're a holder of it. So you are. What do you do?
7: Yeah, we're holding it. You know, so, so we haven't added to the position yet. I really wanted to see after the Terra Luna, You know, blow up. I really think that was a big black eye. I wanted to see the markets settle out, and you just really still haven't seen that settling of the plumbing. So we're going to wait for that because clearly Coinbase will be a derivative of how crypto chain of how crypto trades. But I will say, as these other exchanges that are not publicly traded, as people feel less confidence with those over time people are going to continue to gravitate to coinbase because they do have that rigor of the SEC and it's a publicly traded company so I think long term coinbase gets stronger from all of this but in the short term it's painful and it's like it's it's a $50 stock that's gotten cut by like two-thirds in under six months
1: I mean Bitcoin in general as I look at it here at you know 23 uh, five do you have in your mind a level that you think it could Trade down to you, you you must be thinking of um, and maybe fearing is the better word of where you think it can go as this reset happens across certainly the most speculative assets in the market
7: yeah well I mean if you're an investor in any any risky asset, uh, hope and fear can't be part of your investment thesis I think you have to be more pragmatic and stoic technically the first thing i 'm looking at is that twenty one thousand and you know If it's true that MicroStrategy will have a margin call at 21,000, that's clearly something that you have to take into account for, if that would happen. But second, I think 19,000 has some good support. Underneath that, it's closer to 16,000. So I think a lot depends on if we get there. But, but, you know, you have to size this right. And that's where investors, I think, who had been way over allocated to crypto have really had a a big rude awakening, kind of like how 20 years ago people over allocated to the Internet. And as that came down, once again, the Internet didn't go away. But sure, those prices came down 80 or 90 percent. It feels very reminiscent of that, that it's going to be for tough days. But ultimately, the technology is nascent. It's growing. And I think you have, you know, big investors like Abby Johnson from Fidelity, you know, coming out, continuing to build out their exposure there, that's really positive for the asset class long term.
1: Okay. I appreciate your time, Bryn. Thanks so much. I'll see you on the half. That's Bryn Talkington joining us today. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. Plays right into this conversation because we want to know how low do you think uh, Bitcoin will go before it bottoms out? 20,000? 15? 10? Could it be below? You can head to at CNBC Overtime on Twitter. Cast your vote. We'll bring you those results uh, at the end of our show today. Coming up next... Panic is never a good investment strategy. That is the message today from Schwab's Liz Ann Saunders. She joins us next with how she is navigating all of this volatility. Big sell off today when overtime returns.
7: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close?
9: Welcome back to Overtime. It's time for a CNBC News update now with Shepard Smith. Hi, Shep. Hi, Scott. Thanks. From the news on CNBC, here's what's happening. The Supreme Court making it much more difficult for migrants to challenge immigration policies in court. In an 8-to-1 decision released today, the majority said immigrants have no right under federal law to a bail hearing. The ruling could impact thousands of migrants facing long backlogs in courts. The Ohio Governor Mike DeWine signing a bill into law today that lowers the training requirements for armed teachers and school staff. Previously, it required more than 700 hours of initial training to carry a gun on campus, now just 24 hours with eight hours of follow-up each training year. And Yellowstone is now closed to visitors. The National Park Service closed every entrance today because of heavy flooding, rock slides, and mudslides. Some roads washed out, others covered in rock and mud. And with more rain in the forecast, the Park Service says it doesn't want to run the risk of people getting stranded in there. Tonight, analysis of the market sell-off, a recap of today's January 6th hearing, and a history-making climb of Mount Everest on the news. Right after Jim Cramer, 7 Eastern, CNBC. Scott, back to you. I appreciate that, Shep. Thank you, Shepard Smith. We'll see you then. Another ugly day on
1: Wall Street. As you know by now, stocks plunging across the board while Treasury yields surged, especially late in the day. Joining us now on the phone, Lizanne Saunders, Charles Schwab, Chief Investment Strategist. Good to have you with us, Uh, Lizanne. Welcome back to Overtime. and Your your reaction to this late-day story uh, that we could very well see 75 basis points on Wednesday.
10: Yeah, I mean, even before the late-day story, there was chatter about it throughout the day. Not so much on Friday in the after, immediate aftermath of the CPI report, but it kind of got some traction today. You to look at various functions that show what market is expecting. We, we, as of midday today, we were sort of at 50-50, whether they would do 50 or 75. It's not the M.O. of the Fed in the very recent era to not telegraph something like this. But we're, we're in very unique times. So uh, neither decision tomorrow, 50 or 75, frankly, would surprise me.
1: Well, what would it mean to the market, though? Let, let's just say, right, markets expecting 50. If it got 75, what would happen?
10: That's a really good question. I mean, the the honest answer is uh, I don't know. I I think there's probably participants that are gunning for 75 to sort of take the medicine and get it over more quickly. But I think the surprise factor um, would be unsettling. So I think it depends on your perspective. Uh, Again, it it does go a bit off script for the Fed to do that. And so I think it probably leans toward the more unsettling end of of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, I mean, we got a good gut punch on Friday and it's sort of got another uppercut today. Um, Are we going over uh, on our back here in the market or, or what do you think this tells us this couple of days leading into a Fed meeting? You see where rates have gone. How does it make you feel about the environment overall?
10: So I think we have yet to um, head into what may be uh, the third, let's hope, final phase of this bear market, with the first phase being a reflection of the Fed moving toward tighter monetary policy, tightening financial conditions, and that goes back to the latter part of last year. And then phase two, I think, was accurately reflecting the slowdown we've already seen in the economy with a contraction in Q1 and, you know, barely stall speed in in Q2 based on estimates. Uh, I'm not sure yet we have had the phase that reflects um, the weakness likely to come in profits and profit margins. I also think what's important as it relates to the Fed meeting is not just what they do, 50 or 75, But obviously the commentary from uh, Powell and whether he continues to sort of support the idea that a recession may be what is necessary in order to break the back of this inflation problem and probably address more directly that they actively need to weaken the labor market. And I think you're going to be pressed for more specificity on that front.
1: You you, um, and the Schwab folks obviously have... decades worth of experience in speaking directly to the individual investor. So I guess at a time where the 60-40 portfolio has kind of been turned on its head, or at least it feels like it hasn't delivered for you what you hoped it would, given the upset in the market, what does the right balance look like to you today? What, what, What would you tell people?
10: So I think there's obviously more um, specificity that can occur from an asset allocation standpoint, even for smaller individual investors than just a standard 60-40 mix. And even if you are talking about the 60-40 mix, there's strategies that can be employed both on the 60 side and equities on the 40 side, active strategies on the fixed income side, actually how you structure the fixed income portion relative to duration and, So I think sometimes the analysis is a bit too simplistic when the ability to take a more sophisticated approach to asset allocation, not to mention other asset classes in the mix, commodities or or real estate. And yes, everything has gotten hurt. But um, I think there's a reason that active is having one of the best years in relative terms because the playing field is not as biased toward passive, over active, And there's active strategies that can be employed both on the equity side and on the fixed income side.
1: I gotcha. I know you made special time for us. I'm grateful for your time today, Lizanne. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks, Scott. All right. We'll see you soon. That's Lizanne Saunders, Charles Schwab joining us up next, weighing the risks. One market pro just upped his odds of a recession yet again. His timeline and what's got him so worried now? He's Ed Yardeni. He joins us when overtime comes right back.
8: See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently
1: we Edu. Back in overtime with a news alert just in too. J.P. Morgan now seeing a seventy-five basis point move by the Fed at this week's meeting. Let's bring in Ed Yardeni of Yardeni Research. All right, Ed, that seems where we're moving. Uh, you <laughs> had the scoop uh, that they're going to do seventy-five, or at least it right. was, you know, probable or whatever words you want to use. Now you have Barclays. You have. Jeffries, now you have J.P. Morgan. Do you have your Denny?
11: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think they are going to do 75 basis points. I don't think they would have planted that story in the Wall Street Journal unless they intended to do it. And I think that uh, Powell uh, on uh, Wednesday, when he does his uh, press conference, uh, will uh, indicate that there'll be another one coming uh, at the July meeting and maybe another one at the September meeting. I I think it's time for uh, Powell to have his Volcker moment to show that uh, he really is concerned about inflation. And I, at this point, I, I think the markets will actually be disappointed if it's only 50 basis points.
1: Well, when you say another one coming in July and another one coming in September, what is one? Right. Is that
11: 75? 75, yeah. I, I think it'll be three, three consecutive increases of 75 basis points. I, I think the Fed has to. Just get, yeah, I do. I think the Fed just has to get going with it. Look, it's not as though credit conditions I haven't already tightened, but the Fed has to follow up and uh, kind of lock it all in and deliver what the market's have been expecting. And I think that's where we're getting all this uh, downside movement in the stock market.
1: Well, we, te- we teased into you today saying that you, you brought your odds of a recession up. Yeah. If you think if you think we're going 75 on Wednesday and then 75 in July and 75 in September, yeah. what are your odds? 100 percent?
11: Well, no, that's why I think uh, we are increasing the odds of a recession. Uh, the, the consumer, by the way, is still hanging in there. Uh, they have about a trillion dollars of excess savings from all those checks that were handed out over the past two years and it looks like they're really dipping into those checks and that'll probably uh, keep them going for another six to twelve months as uh, jamie diamond of uh, jp morgan recently said so um i i i think that you know we clearly are in a bear market as of today uh we've been actually in a bear market with the benefit of hindsight since january 3rd uh, given today's drop of over 20 percent since then and i think um the outlook is increasing for uh, the risk of a recession, but I'm not at 100%. I'm, I'm at 45%. Ask me again next week. Let's see how these next batch of economic indicators play out. But uh, seriously, I, I, I think that, there's, uh, that, that some of this recession uh, concerns is, uh, is being somewhat overstated, but uh, I, I can't ignore the fact that we may very well talk ourselves into a recession, as you said, Scott.
1: What about in the here and now ed um, yeah. how how low do you think this this move in the market is going to go
11: i, I really uh, don 't know i mean it 's uh kind of like trying to catch a a falling knife here clearly but uh I think it probably has lower to go um, uh, i I kind of look to see where where we were uh, right before the pandemic, and we were around th- uh, thirty three thirty four hundred uh, uh, back then. I guess it's conceivable we go that that far back, but that I think would be mostly a valuation issue. I think the uh, we've, as I've said before, I think we've got uh, a problem with uh, earnings valuation. Uh, the the PE has been too high, and now it's kind of going. It's probably going to go too low for for a time here.
1: Does it matter? Uh, I mean, what's the determinant factor? Is it where yields go? Because I mean. Yeah, the move absolutely. in yields uh, was absolutely astounding. I, I'm, astounding. I still almost have to do a double take when I when <laughs> yeah, I look. You're right. at the two yeah. year up eleven percent, and yeah, the, the now that the, the ten year w- was up higher. That's only up seven percent now. Yeah. But you, you get you get my idea.
11: Yeah, absolutely. No, and and the yield curve spread between the ten and the two year has uh, gone back down again, uh, raising the uh, concerns that the yield curve is forecasting that things are slowing very 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 quick, quickly here, so I think you're you're right on on uh, your focus on uh, yields and interest rates um, my My thinking there is that uh, uh, the, uh, that uh, this will all come to an end when it's clear that inflation has peaked and that the Fed has done uh, a tightening and so I think uh, three rate hikes of seventy five basis points uh, consecutive up ahead here. Uh, Would do the trick, and I think we are going to see some moderation in the inflation rates. Uh, the economy is slowing in some areas, particularly in uh, consumption of durable goods, and that's where we had some of our worst inflation.
1: I mean, we could have another inversion in the two ten spread uh, before I say goodbye yeah. to to you. Um, it's yeah. it's gotten that flat there. I mean, the two years at three thirty five, the ten years at yeah. three thirty seven, yeah. and and it continues to move as we speak. Uh, Not that it is right every single time, but you've never had a recession without an inversion.
11: Well, the the yield curve is one of the components of the uh, 10 components of the uh, index of leading economic indicators. And by the way, so is that consumer sentiment number that came out on Friday that was so depressed, uh, the the most depressed it's been on record going back to the early 50s. So, uh, yeah, you're definitely seeing more and more uh, indicators, uh, including ones that are leading that are showing that the economy is slowing quickly
1: Yep. Uh, i always appreciate your time ed thank you so much we'll talk to you soon my pleasure that's ed yardenny joining us there still ahead we have santoli's last word don't forget about that we'll get his expert take on today's big downturn what it means for investors as we kick off a new trading week we're back right after this in overtime Betting on high-yield bonds in this environment is not for the faint of heart, but that hasn't stopped the so-called mother of ETFs from doing just that. Joanna Galagos is co-founder of Bond Blocks, the architect of more than 175 ETF-related products during her career. The company today ringing the closing bell here at the exchange. And it's nice to see you. Thanks for being here. Yeah,
12: thanks for having me.
1: Uh, all of these are fixed income ETFs, Yeah,
12: Combox right? is the only ETF issuer that is 100% focused on fixed income.
1: So, I mean, talk about moves in fixed income. The move in yields today was astounding, as I as I've been saying. Uh, Why is now the right time when people are going the other way? They're running for the exits.
12: Yeah, the time for Bomblex is right now. Um, We actually uh, founded this company uh, based on an idea from March 2020, where very similar days where you saw markets um, performing the way they perform today, and our co-founders got together and says we really need to be delivering better tools for institutional investors to manage their risk through through markets like this. So. This is the exact time for a firm like Bond Blocks in the products that we have in market.
1: What, what about the idea itself of just the direction that yields are going, right, where they went to today, which was pretty astounding, yep. uh, and where they may go now that this report is out that the Fed may go 75 yeah. on Wednesday, and the language could be more hawkish than perhaps we thought just a few days ago.
12: Yeah, so two ways to look at that. One is uh, what we hear from investors, is, and we've been hearing from them since we launched, actually, on, in February of, of 2022, we're hearing that investors are re evaluating how they're building risk in their portfolios through fixed income. So one thing to think about is as rates are changing and as markets are shifting, you need more, you know, specific exposures to tailor the way you want to manage that going forward. The other way to look at it, you know, obviously is just be, you know, like we're looking for more granular things. So we're rapidly expanding the product set. We actually registered for an additional eight treasury products uh, this morning that allow you to get to specific uh, duration targets. So you know, we see it as just an opportunity to be using more precise tools, and that's what we know the need is.
1: I want to lean on your market knowledge for, for a moment. I, okay. I said of all the products that you've launched in your, in your career and called you the mother of, of ETFs, <laughs> um, high yield. How's it look to you right now?
12: Yeah. So I think in high yield, what, you're, what we're able to see is that, you know, depends on the sector, depends on, on what market you're looking at. And one of the things we did is we launched sector high yield products and we launched radiance high yield products. And maybe just sticking with sector for a moment, energy. Energy has had an incredible story this 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 in the last six months. If you're an energy firm and you have debt in high yield right now, you've done a lot of restructuring of your debt. You may be paid off some of those loans because of the revenues that are coming in. So all of a sudden that high yield energy sector has a very different financial health than it did before. If you look at rates today and you have concerns about covering and supporting loan debt, you know, you need more um, specific things for you can pivot and what you're going to put on your portfolio now. Um, the other thing I would say is that what investors are telling us is they do two things. They're trying to tailor their long-term exposures, mm-hmm. but they also need something where they can take off individual components of the risk of that exposure or put it on. So for high yield, you know, again, it's, it's the specificity that we know investors need. You
1: guys have already filed for nine more funds, too, so you guys are busy. Uh, thank you for being here.
12: Yeah, thanks so appreciate much for it. having It's an exciting us. day
1: for you guys ringing okay. the bell. I appreciate your time. Thank you. That's Joanna Gallegos of Bond Blocks. Up next, Santoli's last word. Overtime's back in two minutes. To the results of our Twitter question of the day. We asked how low will Bitcoin fall before bottoming out? The majority of you saying 10,000. Got a few good write-ins, too, with a few of you saying it's going to zero. OK, 10,000, though, wins. Mike Santoli's here with his last word. Uh, what is your last word? I mean, a lot's happened in the last couple hours. Here.
0: I mean, ugly, obviously, is, uh, is one way to describe it. I think that a few w- things to pull out of the action today. One is... Bonds absolutely have to calm down to even talk about stocks getting their footing. Um, the kinds of moves you're seeing in yields and the way that the Fed expectations are whipping around, like somebody dropped, you know, the garden hose, That that's how accidents happen. And that is the, the premise for stocks figuring out whether they've gone down far enough. Now, that being said, down 9% in three days, tremendously lopsided, you know, liquidation type uh, breath. That's... Probably ultimately to the good. I mean, if you're still sitting there saying, gee, I'd really love to see the washout action, that's what it looks like. Okay, it doesn't mean it's up from here because I know this doesn't sound helpful, but these are conditions from which you bounce or crash. Right. I mean, crashes don't happen from all time highs when things are rosy. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but I think there's unsettled uh, action. Finally, it's a sell what you can type of thing. Right. You saw energy down five percent. Staples were no help. By the way, basic materials have not acted very well, and Mm -hmm. commodities, ex-oil, have rolled. So that's an interesting context going into the Fed meeting when, of course, laser focus on top-line inflation.
1: So now the conversation tilts to another inversion, like literally a few minutes ago, right? We had another one earlier today. Uh, And then this 75 basis point debate whether the Fed has credibility left, whether it means that they've panicked. If it in fact happens, nothing's obviously in stone. Uh, or they undermove again. I mean, we're 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 right in the thick of it.
0: We absolutely are. Um, there's just no way to to escape the idea that growth is going to be the victim of the fight against inflation, if necessary, right? That's what's been going on for a while right now. So the market has absolutely been pricing that. In. I mean, just look at the consumer side. Best Buy has a 5-plus percent dividend yield right now. That only happens if you think the consumer is tapped and nobody's buying TVs for a while. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, the market's gotten there. On the other, uh, you know, down 22 percent from an all-time high when you were trading really expensive, Uh, You know, it's not some kind of magic level that we've reached to say uh, we figured it all out. So I'm not too concerned about the credibility side of things because it's a fast moving situation. But it is very interesting that they they didn't want to go into that meeting hands tied for 50 basis points. And now it's 75, or if they really want to surprise you, Mike Froley at J.P. Morgan saying a non-zero possibility of a full percentage point just because they might want to
1: send that message. In, in terms of um, bottoms, you know, the traditionalists, as you alluded to, yeah. uh, would say, well, we didn't, still don't have the 40 on the VIX. Yeah. We had all these other metrics, but I'm we're not, still like 34. I'm not 34. too fixated
0: on 40 on the VIX as a, somehow a prerequisite. I'm not talking about bottoms either. I'm talking about bounces. I'm talking about reflex bounces because that's the, that's the start. And the problem is there's no FOMO on the bounces because they've been so weak and they've failed so low recently.
1: Appreciate it, as always. You're back here tomorrow, as am I. Fast money's now.
8: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.